name, Doc, but I love it. <laughs> Can you smell it? Can you sense it? To anybody who's ever played the game of football, you know that this time of the year, it's the smells. It's the grass. It's the cool air. It's just the stirring of the season. I mean, I, I can tell you this. I, I'm now, I'm 65 years old, and still every fall I get this feeling of football. And uh, for those of you who did not play the game, I'm sure you're, you're the ones who, who you know, you, you smelled the popcorn, you saw the lights come on, you saw the two teams going at it on the field, you saw the cool air affecting people around you, and you felt and sensed the idea and the concept of football. You know, that's what we're going to be using this time in this series, is to kind of talk about the handoff and how that that affects not only football, we're not going to talk about football the whole time, but we're going to talk about how we hand off our faith and how we pass our faith along to other people and how we, we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need to hear it. You know, it's important that we understand all of this, and I'm glad you're here to be a part of it. I'm glad you're here not only in the worship center today, but on the live stream. And if you're there, man, if you're close, and you can come visit with us and be with us on a Sunday morning and fellowship and be a part of communion and, and generously giving to the Lord, then we want you to do that as well, and we'd love to have you come. Well, we're glad you're here today, and we want to take this opportunity to dive into uh, this series and to talk a little bit about how passing our faith along becomes so important to what we do with the kingdom of God. But before we do that, before we jump in, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for Jesus. And we want to thank you that he died in our place. And we want to thank you, Lord, that he gave of himself so that we could benefit from what he has done. We want to just thank you that he is our Lord and our Savior. And so today, Lord God, we want to honor you by opening our minds and opening our ears and listening carefully to what you have to say. May we use what you give us today to live life in a greater way. We want to thank you most of all for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Most of you probably don't know that in the history of the game of football that the forward pass has not always been legal. In fact, that football, they started playing football in the 1860s, 1870s, and most colleges formed teams, and, and there was no forward pass, not until it began to be used in an illegal fashion. In a game between Yale and, and Harvard one year, uh, in the 18, uh, late 1870s, uh, a quarterback from, from uh, Yale dropped back. He was getting tackled. He didn't know what to do, so he threw the ball to a teammate, forward pass, Guy caught it, ran in the end zone, and they celebrated. And the other team, man, they protested. They said, you can't do that. That's illegal. You can't do that. Referee had never run against it before. He didn't know what to do. So he reached in his pocket, took out a coin, flipped it. Whoever won the flip won the game. And sure enough, Yale won the game, you know. And so that's what they did with the forward pass. And it was illegal in those days. Never happened. It was all, the whole game of football was centered around the handoff. Now, all you know that... The quarterback 
gets under the center, ball snap, and they'll take the ball and they hand off. And they spin, they open, that's what we call opening up, they open up, and the running back comes up and you stick it in and hand it off to them and they run with the ball and the quarterback retreats, you know. And that's what you do most of the time. That's what they did clear up until the early 1900s. But in 1905, football was becoming more than just a sport. The Chicago Tribune reported that in 1905, at the end of the football season, 1905, 18 men had died playing football. And 159 other men had been severely injured playing the game. You know why? Because everybody was at the line of scrimmage. Everybody was stacking up. The defense was playing within the box. The offense was trying to block. Everybody ran into those things, and, and it was just people were getting bloodied, and, and those people died, and President Theodore Roosevelt said, that's enough. He said, you either get it fixed, or football goes away. And so, 60 colleges and universities sent a representative to a meeting in a city, and they all talked about how to make the game safer, how to open the game up, and, and so in, in, in 1905 and early 1906, they passed some new rules that changed the game of football. And one of those was the forward pass. It became legal. It opened up the game. It spread out the field. It, it caused defenses to have to spread away from the box. And therefore, that propelled football into the future. And um, many of you who follow football may have thought, well, that really happened with the West Coast offense. Wrong. It happened because people were dying playing the game. And so they opened the game up, and the forward pass became legal, and the rest is history in the game of football. Now, when we talk about that here today, we've got to talk about the fact of what is a forward pass. So I'm going to give you the definition of forward pass. It's a throwing of the ball in the direction that the offensive team is trying to move toward the defensive team's goal line. If I want to make it simpler, it's when the quarterback throws it to a teammate, and he runs and tries to score against the defense. That's the forward pass. It benefits your team. It benefits the individual who catches it. And hopefully, at the end, you win a victory because you're passing the ball forward. Now, it's kind of the same in the gospel. It's kind of the same in the gospel in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just a matter of, of handing the Scripture to somebody and allowing them to do something with it. It's a matter of passing our faith along, and especially with compassion. Because, you see, if you don't have any compassion involved, then you're going to have a tough time getting people to listen to what you have to say. You've got to have compassion where they are and what they're doing and what they're going through in life. And when you have compassion for that individual, that allows you to open a door. And when that door is open, you have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And so today I want to talk to you about passing the faith along. And I want to do it by passing along compassion. Now that's not easy. I mean, it's not easy to score a touchdown in the game of football. And it's not easy to pass the faith along. You know why? Because people over the years and over the centuries have become more and more obstinate to the gospel. They've become more and more defensive against those kinds of things. And in every generation, it's been getting worse. And our largest generation right now is the millennial generation. 
A millennial generation have several things about them I need for you to know. Number one, if you were born between 1980 and the year 2000, you fit in the millennial generation. Okay? You have about 78 million millennials right now in this generation. And they say that by the year 2025, you, the generation of millennials, will make up 75% of the workforce in America. Now, that's pretty impressive. And that's a large, large generation. In fact, that's the largest generation we have right now in America. But I also want you to know a few more things. That generation, they're skeptical of absolutes and anyone or anything claiming to be an authority on life and on the world. Very skeptical. They don't want to hear that. They, they don't deal well with absolutes. They push you off. They have their own way of thinking. And I want you to know this, only 9% of millennials read the Bible on a daily basis. And only 30% of them believe that the Old Testament and the New Testament are the Word of God. That makes it even harder, doesn't it, to pass your faith along. Makes it even harder to do that. Now, now, and in those millennials, you also have to know that they grew up, they grew up with 9-11 happening while they were born, with, with all the technology that came along. Uh, they were basically born into social media and all that happens. And, oh, and one more thing. They love avocado toast. Now, I can't imagine that. My generation, we put jams and jellies on our toast. And then we topped it with bacon, you know. We put bacon on everything in my generation, you know. That's why I gave a flavor, right? But that generation is going to be more difficult to get to, and everybody in every generation has become more and more obstinate. Now, over the years, from the mid-1800s to the early 1900s, missionaries were sent out to evangelize the world. And our missionaries from America went into other continents and to other countries and took the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they tried to hand it off to the native people. And they tried to pass their faith along and show compassion to those groups in those continents. And they did a great job. Did you know that right now in the world today, in 2019, that Africa and Asia are the fasting, fastest growing Christian continents on the face of the earth. Yeah, Africa and Asia. And did you know that because of the fastest growing in Christianity, that Africa and Korea specifically have begun to send missionaries around the world to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know where those missionaries are going? To Brazil, Russia, and the United States of America. Because they believe that we have lost our thirst and our goal for Christianity here at home. Would you disagree? Probably not. And we need to know that it's getting more and more difficult to share the good news. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to get to the place where we can really share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can we pass our faith along? How can we hand off our faith so others will share with the next generation the good news of the gospel as well. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote about that, and I want you to take your Bibles, a passage we read earlier, Philippians, the second chapter, and I want to read that passage again. I want you to follow along, but I want to read with a little bit of emphasis, and I want you to catch that emphasis this morning. 
Beginning in Philippians 2, verse 1. If you, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to or grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hmm. Great passage. Great passage of Scripture. Two things that come out of this passage. Two traits that we need to build into our lives as believers if we're going to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with this world. The first thing is this. The first trait is we need to understand we need to show humility to others. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and show that same humility to those who need to know the gospel. For when you're humble before them and not arrogant and not prideful, they're more likely to listen to what you have to say and more likely to look into the Word with you and more likely to come to Christ if we show humility to them. Now, humility, I want to give you a little definition here. Humility is when we are yielded to Christ for service to others. When we're humbled before the Lord, when we as believers take our eyes off of ourselves and we put our eyes on the lost, when we take our eyes off of what we're doing and we cast those eyes upon other people and we want to take this good news and hand it off to them or pass our faith along, we need to be able to do that by being humble before them. Jesus talked about it. In fact, in one of the very, very few passages in Scripture where Jesus talked about Himself and about who He was, Matthew 11, verses 28, 29, and 30, He said this, Now come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me. Now listen, listen to this. Jesus says, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then he goes on to say, take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, did you notice what he said about himself? He was gentle and humble in heart. That's a trait that Jesus carried with him. And that's a trait that we need in our lives today. Being gentle and humble in heart. Being able to get rid of our pride and take on humility so we can share the good news with other people. Isaac Watts, who wrote a hymn, uh, one time said, said in his hymn, he said, you've got to pour contempt 
on all your pride. You've got to allow the humility to come out. And when Isaac Watts wrote about that, he wrote about this very passage. To get rid of your pride, take on humility, and share the good news of the gospel with other people. You see, that's what I think we ought to be doing. And so, out of this text, the first four verses, I want to give you three things that you need to understand. Three practical ideas that will help you to develop or cultivate humility in your lives. Here's the first one. The Bible says, never let selfishness or conceit be your motive. Don't let that be your motive. In other words, be humble, not only before the Lord, but before others. Never let selfishness or conceit motivate you to do what you do. Secondly, always regard others as more important than yourself. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard for people to do, to really be motivated in that direction, to, to think of others first. Most often we think about how things are going to affect us, what we're going to do in response to this, how I'm going to be taken by that. I mean, we, we think about ourselves first. And Jesus says, through the Apostle Paul, that we've got to be able to regard others as more important than ourselves. And thirdly, he says, don't limit your attention to your own personal interests. Include others. In other words, don't always do what you want to do. Don't always take the interest and, and say, well, this is what we ought to do. You've got to look to the interest of others. You've got to find out how you can open a door and help share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need Him the most. Yeah. Chuck Swindoll, in his commentary on this very passage, he wrote these words. He said, when you're in Greece, they'll say, be wise and know yourself. And when you're in Rome, they'll say, be strong and discipline yourself. And when you're dealing with religion, religion will say, be good and conform yourself. And education will say, be resourceful, expand yourself. Psychology says, be confident and assert yourself. Materialism says, be possessive and please yourself. Humanism says, be capable, believe in yourself. Pride says, be superior and promote yourself. But Christ says, be unselfish and humble yourself. You see, if we're going to win the next generation for Jesus, in fact, if we're going to win our generation for Jesus, then we've got to be able to show humility to others so that they'll open the door and let us hand off our faith to them. The second trait you need to see in this text is pretty easy too. You show Jesus for others to see. You allow Jesus to be seen in you. When people say, you know, ask the question, what do they see when they look at you? Do they say, oh yeah, I see Fred? No, they should say, I see Jesus in Fred. That's what we need to have. We need to have others see Jesus in us, in what we do, and how we live, and how we speak, and how we think. They ought to be able to see Jesus very clearly in everything that we do. Okay? Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, you know, now here, he says, you've got to have this attitude. You've got to have this attitude of Jesus. In other words, he's writing it with this, this forceful idea that, that this attitude of Jesus, you need to have it, and you need to possess it. Now, in football terms, the coach would say, don't you fumble that. Football coaches, football coaches will tell you, men, if this were a football, they'll say, men, this is a football. 
You don't drop it. You don't fumble it. You don't give it away. It's valuable. It's gold. It's mine. You don't give it away. Do not fumble that football. And in the gospel, when given the opportunity to share the good news, don't fumble it. Don't drop it. Don't let it go. Maybe the only time you get. So don't fumble that opportunity. Have the attitude of Jesus. Okay? Now, attitude's a big thing. You may have heard the story about the little boy. The little boy who was out in the backyard and he had a baseball bat and a baseball. He was walking in the backyard and one day he just has a baseball. He throws it up in the air and he says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he swings and he misses. There lays the ball. And he picks it up and he walks a few steps and he says, I'm the greatest hitter in baseball. He tosses it up, swings, misses again. He looks down at the ball and he goes, oh. He picks it up and he says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he throws it up and he swings and he misses. And his shoulders are down and he's looking down at the baseball. And all of a sudden his head comes up. He goes, ha. I'm the greatest pitcher in baseball. You know? <laughs> you know, struck himself out in the backyard, you know. That was a good attitude, right? You've got to find a way to do it. The Bible says you ought to have the attitude of Jesus. What is that attitude? And how do you develop that attitude? There are five things that are pointed out in this text. Five things I want you to see if you're going to become like Jesus. Number one, you've got to empty yourself. Jesus did. Did you notice what the text says? It says, Jesus being in the very nature God. He did not, count, uh, he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. He emptied himself, and he, he came to earth. He, he did what God wanted him to do in the plan of salvation. And so that's what Jesus did. So if you're going to be effective in carrying the gospel to another generation, you've got to empty yourself. Jesus did. And secondly, he became a servant. You need to become a servant. Jesus did. In fact, it says here, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. Now, let me stop here just for a moment and say this. It's important you know that some people teach in this text that, that Jesus, when he left heaven, he left behind all of his divine nature and he became human as he came to this earth. That's not what Paul said. That's not what the Greek text says. The Greek text says, and when Jesus left behind the throne room of heaven, he kept his divinity and he added human form. You see, there's a big difference between the two. And we need to know that our Savior did not leave heaven and leave behind His divinity. He came to earth and He still was every piece of God. God cannot cease to be God. So be careful when somebody tells you that because that's not true. What's true is He came as God and took on human form in order to serve you. Thirdly, he said, associate with others' humanity. Jesus did. I mean, he came, he took on human form. He began to walk among men. He began to associate with us. And he began to experience temptation. And he began to experience other things like we do so that we could relate to him. And number four, if you're going to become like Jesus, you need to humble yourself. Jesus did. 
Did you notice in the text, it says here, and be found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He took on humility. There's what we've been talking about. You've got to humble yourself so you can share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then number five, he did this. He accepted his role in God's story. You need to accept yours. Do you know what Jesus' role was? Do you know what his role was? Here it is, right here in the text. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What's your role? What's your role in the story of God? Your role in the story of God is to simply tell others how you came to Jesus and the difference that Jesus has made in your life so you can share that story with them. They'll listen to your story. And after you tell your story and how Jesus has affected you, that'll open the door for you to open the gospel and really share with them what God says. You see, it starts with you and your story. And how are you going to do that? How are you going to make that happen? I think Hebrews 12, 2 is very clear when it says the one thing you've got to remember at all times is to fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The very first phrase is important. Keep your eyes on Jesus. My friends, you take your eyes off of Jesus, you got big trouble. You take your eyes off of Jesus, you're going to struggle. You think somebody else has the best way to live and not Jesus, you're in trouble. Because you have to pay attention to Him. You want to be like Jesus? You want to follow Him? Then you keep your eyes on Jesus. Because He's the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. And that's where you need to be. In Warren Wiersbe's commentary on this text, he tells a story. The story reads like this. A reporter was interviewing a successful job counselor who had placed hundreds of workers in their vocations, and they were all quite happy. When asked the secret of his success, the man replied, if you want to find out what a worker is really like, don't give him responsibilities. Give him privileges. Most people can handle responsibilities if you pay them enough. But it takes a real leader to handle privileges. A true leader will use his privileges to help others and to build the organization. A lesser person will use privileges to promote themselves. Jesus used his heavenly privileges for the sake of others. It was for our sake. That's why He came. That's why He came to earth. It was for you and for me so that we could have eternal life. (laughs) Now something happened after Jesus did all that. After Jesus did all that in verses 5, 6, 7, 8, you get down to 9, 10, 11, and there are two things that God did for Jesus at the very end of all this. He did this for Jesus. Number one, He exalted Jesus with ultimate authority. Now that's why it's so important when we talk about people who don't like to be told what the authority is and and all that kind of stuff. Here's what you got to do. You can't go to them and tell them that you know what's best for them. You have to introduce them to the one who is the ultimate authority. 
the truth. And that's Jesus. So God exalted him with ultimate authority. Number two, here's what God did. He gave Jesus a significant name. Kurios, Jesus, Christos. Jesus Christ, Lord. When everybody else is looking for answers in religion, I'm telling you right now, people, they don't need religion. They need a Savior. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can't find answers in religion. You can't find answers in, a, in an orthodox review of theology. You can't find answers in, in just looking at the patterns of some religious group. You don't need religion. You need Jesus. He's the Savior of this world. And that's why God gave him that name. Jesus Christ, Lord. And that's who we need to trust today. Do you? Do you trust Him today? Are you able to show that humility to others and open the door so that you can lead them to see Jesus and allow them to see salvation through Him? You see, that's what this is all about. It's handing off our faith. It's passing it along with compassion. And it's knowing how to introduce Jesus in a way that people will cling to it and know Him as Savior and Lord. they got to see Jesus in you. Tom Landry, legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys, with the organization for 30 years, and when Jerry Jones and his associates bought the team, the first thing they did, the first order of business of the Dallas Cowboys, was to tell Tom Landry he was no longer needed. Boy, the city of Dallas was not pleased. 30 years of championship football, 30 years of winning the, the conference in the Central Division, and 30 years of, of producing all pros, and, and Tom Landry was a head coach and a great head coach, and people did not like it. And people went to Tom Landry and they said, hey, you know what you ought to do? You ought to get a press conference going. You ought to go out there and tell the truth. You ought, to, you ought to tell them that Jerry Jones was, was mean-spirited. You ought, to just, you ought to just go after him and take a stand in the press. They'll let you do that. Tom Landry said, no, I don't think that's what I'll do. And here's what he said. He said, I knew sometime, somewhere along the line, somebody would take this from me. Even if I wasn't ready, they would take it from me. And I would need to let go. People were amazed. But Tom Landry was that way all the time. You know why? Because Tom Landry was a believer. Tom Landry was a Christian. He was a member of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He spoke to athletes all the time about their relationship in Christ. He shared the good news of the gospel with his players and with his assistant coaches. He was living out Christ. And Tom Landry, if he were alive today, Tom Landry would tell you that football is a lot of fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun to play. But it's a game. And Jesus Christ is more important in your life. He knew because he had that relationship with Jesus. And he knew he needed to share it with other people. Do you? 
Do you know that today? Are you compelled to move forward and to hand off your faith or to pass your faith along to allow people to see Jesus in you and to humbly present the truth to them? Is that where you are today? Because if you're not, my friend, then maybe you need to come for prayer. Maybe you need to ask God for the strength and the help to be able to tell your story so you can open the door to present the gospel to your friends and to your family. Or maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord. Maybe you've never taken that step. Maybe today you need to walk forward and say, you know what, I want to live like Jesus. I want to have that kind of life. I want to live for Him. I don't want to live the way I'm living right now. It's too hard. I want to live for Jesus. If you want to do that today, you come down front. We've got counselors, prayer counselors, decision counselors ready to talk with you. If you don't know what to do, we have the next step room. It'll just be open. You can go there and talk to a leader. They can talk you through what you want to do. You just need to make your decision today. Right now is decision time at Chapel Rock. Right now, you need to make a decision. To be like Jesus or to go ahead and live the way you've been living. It's totally up to you. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. And while we sing, you come and you make that decision this morning. Okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the words that you wrote through the Apostle Paul. And thank you, Lord, for reminding us that We all need to be humble before you and in front of others so they can see Jesus in us and not us. And Father, help us to hand off our faith or to pass it along with compassion so that, that Father, they will want to know you and they'll desire to come to you. And God, I just pray that each and every one of us will do that with our own lives. And so, Lord, I pray for your blessing upon those who are thinking about a decision I pray, Lord, whatever they're thinking about, your Holy Spirit will move upon them and that they will respond to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for the gospel. But thank you most of all for Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen and amen.